Alright, welcome back to the PCS Podcast, your home for all things competitive Pokemon TCG. Today we're going to be talking about a little bit of the Orlando metagame during our MetaShare study. We're going to touch briefly on some news regarding Scarlet Violet, and then we're going to answer a couple of listener questions just because, you know, there's no events going on right now, so we definitely have some time and stuff to talk about. With me always is my co-host Justin. Justin, how we doing, man? Oh, I'm doing great. We uh, had a great family weekend this past weekend, um, just because my wife is out of town and I'm on 100% baby duty this week, so um, I'm getting my my uh, hand at that. So it's been a fun first day, and uh, yeah, I'm just I'm getting prepped for Orlando Regionals on top of that, which is gonna be um, gonna be fun and interesting. How about you, man? How you doing? I'm good. Um, I didn't play a whole lot of Pokemon last week other than the PCS Locals, which was a super good time. Uh, But yeah, dude, it's just been work. We had inventory this week, which has been crazy. My shift's been all over the place. Right before the inventory, we had corporate come in and kind of walk our store. So, you know, work work was hectic. But, you know, everything outside of that has been uh, just hunky-dory. This would be about the time that I transition us into talking about results for a regional or something like that but there uh there were none so uh, i don't i don't really know where to go from here other than to transition into the metashare study uh the metashare study is brought to you by ink gaming ink gaming has a wide variety of custom playmats dice bags face masks sleeves dice and deck boxes and then when you use the code pcspod10 to check out you'll receive 10 percent off your entire order all right so you're playing in orlando you said you were playing Arc- Arctura, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. let's go with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right, Arctura. Um, so what I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, there's a bunch of decks that we've seen, you know, in top cut scenarios. Obviously, you can't predict the rogue deck, but you could base it off of the information that you know and just make your list as consistent as possible to hopefully push down all those rogue matchups that you definitely didn't test for. You know, and it looks like Lugia Archaeops with... 50% win rate against Lugia, not Lugia, uh, Gudra Lost Box, a very favorable matchup against Lost Zone Boxes, um, with the exception of the ones that feature Rayquaza and Raikou. You know, it's uh, it's kind of a scary ground, man, just depending on what deck you want to play. Mew Genesect, obviously coming off of a huge win, and Liverpool is definitely going to have people packing their Drapions. Or maybe not. They're just going to attack completely <laughs> against it. You know, maybe people will play Urshifu. They'll think, nah, no one's going to win with Mew twice. I'm going to play Rapid Strike Urshifu. That sounds like a good time. Yeah, that sounds like a fun but horrible time at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely nothing more frustrating than that. But we have things like Lukia, Mew, varieties of Lost Unboxes, Reggie's, which seems like a wildly consistent pick Vikavolt, which has made some huge leaps in terms of uh, competitive play you know from being a relatively dead card for so many sets now all of a sudden it's saving the meta um you know how do you pick a deck out of this you know small but still wide variety of decks in this pool i feel like with this this like wide open card pool it's pretty hard to honestly choose something because there's so many very strong decks and really good decks that we've got out there right now and it's kind of like almost 
picking what's your play style and what you think you're going to run into the least amount and going with that pick and kind of what's stronger because every deck on that we have on this chart is good but it also has you know like an auto loss at some point or almost auto loss there's always a way around an auto loss of course um but it's just it really is kind of that what do i expect to see and what do i think is going to take me the furthest in this competition um come up for orlando because there's i mean there's a lot of players that we're going to see here and so you kind of need to be pre- pre- uh, be prepared for everything so it's just it really is hard to choose something to you know what you think might be the biggest play like you mentioned Vikavolt has made waves, but that deck, ever since it made waves, has gone kind of under the radar. Honestly, it's we haven't seen too much of it in these the the last tournament. Um, so I mean, it's just like maybe that makes an appearance again. Um, Reggie's had kind of a big wave for a while, and then it's died off. So maybe that has a big resurgence, um, and it covers a lot of weaknesses. Lugia Archeops is just obviously always very strong um, into a lot of different matchups, and so. We'll see, prob- I mean, I can almost guarantee you we'll see a huge meta share of that. And then, of course, with that, the people teching against that deck specifically. So it is just kind of like, you know, that's just a few of the decks on this chart. So it really is all over the place. Right. And you have to take into consideration. So if you want to play like a loss of box, right? You, if your main goal is to polish off large targets like uh, Mew VMAX and Duraludon, if you still play that card... Um, if Save Lies your win con there, you have to take into consideration that Mew Genesect is not only packing Lost City for Reggie's, but it could potentially take your one or two of Sableye off the map entirely. And those are two decks, Arcturaladon and Mew Genesect, that are considering the idea of packing Echoing Horn again too, which is just really uncomfortable. And you have to understand that you might, you know, be a casualty of a tech for another archetype. And that just kind of steers right back into consistency. If you're packing a bunch of attackers, I know people are putting the amazing Zosh in inside of uh, Rayquaza Lost Box. The new Zamazenta from Crown Zenith will be legal for play at this tournament as well. You know, it, it may hit like a brick, but if you're playing one of it, you might lose it forever just because those two decks are now playing something that it wasn't even meant for you, but definitely does come in handy. Uh you know how do you how do you predict a field you just have to pay attention to previous results and look at lists from you know liverpool and san diego and arlington and just understand how they're evolving listening to what the players are saying most of them will dive in and say i didn't play this card once i wouldn't play this card this card became a burden blah 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 you know how how do you jump into a new field in Orlando that's projected to have the most amount of masters or players alone in a regional event stateside, I guess ever. Um, how, how do you put your finger on what, <laughs> what you want to play and how you don't, you know, just get mopped because everybody decided to play the tech for your deck. Yeah. I mean, that's, we're in an era right now where it's kind of just hard. You have, you know, uh, Twitter where everyone's posting deck lists on a daily basis you have, you know, the influence of these top players that people follow. Um, and, I mean, a couple years ago, there was no such thing as online tournaments. So, I mean, you pretty much went on your previous regionals results and stuff like that. And now it's, like, almost weekly, if not daily basis, you're seeing the meta shift and evolve. So it's evolving so fast that sometimes it is kind of hard to predict uh, what the best play is and how to 
um, tech for a certain thing or a certain matchup. And so sometimes, um, I know we, we've harped on it in the past, but sometimes that's where I feel like consistency is key. Um, but I think, I, I don't know if it was a tweet I saw or hearing someone else talk about it, but um, consistency is key and will get you far, but throwing in a couple of those techs is also what is going to take you to that next level as well too, but not over-teching so much that you're going to throw off your consistent matchups and things like that. So it is really hard to find that balance and just uh, be prepared for everything. I mean, I think at a certain point you kind of, you stick with the deck that you're comfortable with, maybe with one or two of techs here and there, but you just, some some matchups you go into and you unfortunately get paired against and you go, I'm probably not going to win this and I'm going to move on onto the next round. You know, it's just with this field being so wide open and there being so many things, and then with, like you said, the the largest, uh, projected to be the largest regional state side for Masters, you could literally hit anything. You could hit the 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 best deck in the room, the guy that's going to win the entire tournament, and you could hit the the theme deck that the guy, someone lives in Orlando and was just like, oh, I heard this Pokemon event's going on, and I showed up with my theme deck because that's all I had built, so... It's yeah. it really I is paid hard to tech si- for that stuff. <laughs> I paid $60 to come play Victini VMAX. <laughs> hey, you would be surprised. One of my regionals I went to, I ran into a guy playing practically a theme deck with uh, a couple techs, or not techs, a couple cards he pulled from a pack-in. So it was uh, it, it was fun to play against him, but at the same time it was, you know, you just kind of like, I'm sorry, man, I'm here with a super competitive deck and I'm going to just wipe the board. <laughs> Yeah, no, it is It is what it is. You know, I've run into a handful of those too. You know, me being me, finding my way to bottom tables and then make my, my, make my way back up to mid tables late late in the tourney. Um, you know, and it's no disrespect to those players. I love playing just about every deck there is out there. It just depends on which one you bring to an event that you're going to fork over some, some cash for. <laughs> yeah, a, yeah, it is a little different nowadays. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little expensive. I, I as much as I love playing Urshifu, I'm not gonna spend seventy dollars to go play it at an event like this. Uh, so just to change the the course, I guess in the the discussion, if you're playing Lugia, are you putting a target on your back? Because there just seems to be so many texts and counters coming out of the wet work to just keep Lugia at bay. You know, it doesn't it doesn't have a Drapion printed that just handles the deck and gives you. Um, a leg up in the matchup whatsoever. Um, I think because it is so heavily played, it just depends on the person shuffling up that specific 60 to see success with it. Because if if I handed uh, Lugia Archaeops to, I don't know, my friend or cousin and said, hey, like this is the best deck in format, you should be able to win this matchup without explaining to them, giving them the repetition, it doesn't mean they're going to win but they are going to be heavily teched against and that's going to be very unfavorable for them. And if you think about the amount of people who not necessarily jump into the game, but this might be their very first event, like the previous player we were talking about before, is it going to be less fun to jump in with what's considered the best deck in format? Or do you think that they still stand a 50, 50 chance of being very successful, potentially making something resembling a day two, um, with with what is considered the best deck in format. That's a oh man, that's a kind of double-edged question or I forget I don't even know the, the right term for it, but um a loaded question just because 
usually best deck in format, a lot of people can potentially do well with it. Um, but I think with something like Lugia Archaeops, I don't think it necessarily has too much of a target on its back anymore. It still has somewhat of a target on its back, but a lot of people are kind of switching off of it, or they've actually added in techs and things like that to their deck um, to kind of help in their, their matchups or for when people tech against them. But I do think that someone just coming in and picking up the deck needs to be a little more practiced with it to understand the kind of the ebbs and flows of the deck um, and when to play certain cards, when not to certain scenarios. So I think someone could potentially pick up something like Lugia Archaeops and do okay with it. But I think when it comes to facing a more experienced player, even with a deck that might not do so well into Lugia Archaeops, they might not have as great of an opportunity or uh, to win that matchup because they're not as practiced with the deck. I mean, um, something like Mew Genesect, I feel like, would be even more um, easy to pick up than a, like a Lugia Archaeops just for the pure sake. It's kind of like, okay, I'm going to play all these items and power tablets down and Genesect a bunch of times and fill my hand up and, oh, I'm damaged, I'm going to Psychic Leap back in. It's kind of like, it's a little more linear than something where Lugia Archaeops where you're you have no energy recovery, so you don't understand... Like, if you lose energies early on, well, it's going to affect your gameplay down the road when you're trying to scramble for energies on something like an evil tall to take a big knockout or something like that. So, um, yeah, like I said, loaded question just for the pure sake of you could pick up the the best deck in format and do good with it, but I think you, and especially a large event like this, you should be well practiced with your deck in especially into like bad matchups for you and things like that too for sure you know i kind of agree um but just to summarize would you say that mu genesect has the biggest targets target on its back coming into this event or is it flying pikachu time because everything lost on box is just scary I mean, I think Mew Genesect is always going to have a target on it on its back, especially with how easy Drapion is to tech into decks. I mean, we've seen people doing that, and still Mew Genesect kind of prevails through that. But it, all it takes is a really well timed Drapion to take a three prize knockout and swing everything in your favor. So Mew Genesect definitely will have a target on its back. Lugia Archaeops will have a target on its back, but it's kind of adapted to where it can survive through some of those targets. I mean. It, Almost all lists are now playing Dunsparce and Manaphy again. Um, for a while, people were like, oh, just take the loss if you hit something, and now it's gone back to everyone's playing both again, found room for it. Um, so I think both those will have targets on their deck. But yeah, I think I think we're going to see a big resurgence of Flying Pikachu. I've seen personally just a lot of things all over Twitter, people testing it. Uh, lost Zone Box is getting like a lot of love right now too, so Flying Pikachu just comes in and kind of does well with that. Reggie's is kind of seeing, I feel like, a little bit of a resurgence, which Flying Pikachu, it's all basic, so why not Flying Pikachu? And obviously Flying Pikachu won NAIC for a reason with Lost Box and Reggie's being big at the time, so I could definitely see something like Flying Pikachu coming in and kind of catching everyone off guard. And I feel like the uh, the new Radiant Eternatus, although it seems very meme tier, could really streamline that matchup. If you're Let's let's say you're five cards into the loss zone, drop Eternatus, put two flying peak down under your bench, and you know, your your opponent now has to take seven prizes, and that's, you know, assuming that they don't get locked out of the game because none of their basic Pokemon can attack anymore. And 
You know, it, it just gets a little scary. And then I've seen things like Roxanne come through. It's like, oh, yes, I want you to take one flying peak with this Rayquaza. So I'm going to Roxanne you into oblivion. And it's just, I'm just going to clean up with the second peak. So it's, it is a very scary territory uh, for things that can't handle flying peak as soon as you can put them into play. I know that before we're like, oh, yes, like you can, you know, put chip damage in on the V and then pray they don't have Parasol and be able to clean it up with Sableye or, you know, switch and boss and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, man, it might be, it might be peak time again. And that seems really unfortunate. Um, another thing that we need to take into consideration is that Arc Duraludon just seems like a deck that has the most amount of space. Um, the way that I've been playing it as of recent is basically four Ultra Ball and two Evolution Incense and just Marnie Judge one mustard and plenty of clap stadium and lost city you know kind of throwing the whole healing mechanisms out the window but i feel like the worst matchups i've had with arceus Draladon have been remedied because of all of these things i've been able to put into the deck yeah i i have to agree completely like um obviously i was a big arceus Draladon player for quite a while um it always and one of the things i liked about it was it always seemed to kind of have room for things um one of its downsides is the fact that it you know it's you have to spend a turn kind of charging it up with arceus normally but i mean if you can just get going right off the bat because you're able to put four of everything into there because you have so much room that consistency will kind of turn around in in your favor i mean it also can brick really hard on you as well too but i mean we always it always seems every regional we have an Arc Duraludon kind of breaking through, not necessarily always in top eight, but maybe top 16. Like there's always, as much as people talk down on the deck, there's always someone breaking through to kind of a, a higher place finish. And I mean, that ability with so much special energy running around right now and how strong, like, or how, uh, how much HP Duraludon has, it's a really, it is a really good choice for someone because you have that built-in wall ability, you have the built-in shred ability, and you have just such a high HP threshold with no weakness. I mean, it's, it is a, a very good, good choice, and it's actually one that I had considered orig- originally for Orlando. Um, I'd went with, obviously, something else, um, but or I'm going with something else, but it is still something that I literally had built and thought about, but then I just kind of got scared with the potential slow turns and things like that that it can, can have, uh, over x amount of games and things like that no for sure and you have to assume that with these what i'm going to summarize it as is like lugia archaeops mu genesect arceus duraludon they are unfortunately uh they've just been put in such a bad position because of things like sky seal stone which is also legal for this next tournament yep but you have to also consider that the decks that could potentially capitalize this are basically all loss zone flavored because they can tech in a one of v pokemon or a two of you know different flavored v pokemon to use the sky seal stone because it can only be attached to v pokemon they have to be basic and they 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 have to take the knockout in order for that perk to work to take those extra prizes that the sky steel zone gives you but at the same time you are now putting a two prize liability into the deck where i think the merit to these loss zone boxes is to use Mirage Gate very well or just have waves of different flavored attacks with all your single prize Pokemon. 
So it's uh, it's it's a huge advantage for these smaller. I don't want to say roguish decks, but you know, lost lost zone decks just have a tendency to be unpredictable. It gives them that edge, but I don't think that it's going to make them more competitive in a sense. But then you also just have to be weary with things like Lugia, Arceus, Mugenesect. Maybe a tool jammer would come in handy. Maybe uh, an extra loss vacuum would do you some favors here and there. So it's hard to be vigilant about specific changes to the metagame like that. Yeah, I agree, and I will say the the Sky Sealstone, just knowing that it was legal for Orlando, was a big reason why I switched off something like Arceus Duraladon or Arceus Gudra, because it kind of, the whole point of that, you know, those decks are to make the, the prize trade kind of hard for them. Um, specifically in Arceus Duraladon, you want to go like 2-3-3 three, three, or 3-2-3, three, three, just, you know, you want them to have to work for those knockouts, and now all they have to do is, uh, you know, three prizes on Arceus with a Sky Steel Stone and then one Duraladon or uh, one Arceus and then Sky Steel Stone uh, on a Duraladon and that's your four prizes and it's just like the math kind of shifts with that card specifically. Um, so I think that one was, like I said, that was probably the biggest card that kind of scared me off of Arceus Duraladon personally. Um, will it see a lot of play? Um, I think it'll see a handful of play. I'm not 100% sure. Um, I think, like you said, the biggest deck that's going to see it is a Lost Zone box. And I think adding those two prize liabilities to a Lost Zone box is only going to really hinder you if you happen to start those Pokemon. But out, if you don't happen to start a two prize liability, then I think you're in a really good spot because you can hold on to those cards for those later games. So like the turn that you need it, you literally slap down, Mirage Gate, four Seal Stone, Knockout. And it's, you know... So I think that's those combos that um, are what it's going or what's going to happen um in that case but yeah i just that and like the new babies almazenta and lost box is going to make lost box so much stronger because now you're going to be putting a really strong attacking and walling babies almazenta one prizer out that can swing games in your favor so it's it's really just anyone's guess what's gonna top this uh this tournament yeah when we when it comes to talking about decks that have a lot of promise but haven't necessarily seen a tremendous amount of success this lost box gudra you know it's been popping up here and there stefan ivanov taking second place at liverpool with it you know the sosa brothers been keen on that deck and they played outstanding in san diego is do you think an oversaturation of this deck is going to I don't know, push down things like Reggie's or the um, the straight attacking Lost Boxes that may or may not use uh, the Sableye. Because uh, it seems really good. Uh, the new Baby Zam definitely adds an extra layer to that deck, but that also takes away one Mirage Gate that you could effectively use on a second Gudra. It's one of those decks that can't really capitalize on using Sky Seal Stone because you want to be able to use that V-Star power. Um... Is it in a good spot, or do you think that it's going to fizzle out because of its excess in play in two back-to-back tournaments, or is it just starting to get better? That's that's another one that's going to be really anyone's guess, too. I think that deck is actually really strong, um, just because, obviously, walling potential is so, so good. Um, I think something like... It, you know, it's all going to depend matchups and that's you know who who hits what in the room 
because um, I really do think, you know, if Alasso and Gudra's hitting Reggie's all day or um, or the Rayquaza lost box, obviously they're going to have a field day. They're going to go, okay, cool, I'm just going to wall, and they're never going to be able to hit enough damage, and we're good. But if the Gudra lost zone box happens to be hitting nothing but Arc Duraludon all day, yeah, the matchups are can be close, but at the same time, Duraludon does have Shred. And it's also playing its own forms of healing, usually with Hyper Potions. So not only can you heal with the Gudra, but you're also now able to shred right through that damage reduction. So, it, you know, if someone's playing Lasso and Gudra and hits nothing but those all day, it might be really hard for them, you know? It, or even Lugia Archeops that's playing a bunch of vacuums so they just get rid of their um, their Parasols and Evil Tall them at the right time and things like that. So, yeah, I think Gudra is actually in a really... The Lost Zone box Gudra is in a really good spot. Um, if I didn't hate Lost Zone so much, it's another one that's up there too because I do think being able to charge up with a Mirage Gate is really, really strong. Um, but, yeah, it's it's all kind of just matchup dependent, uh, really. And I hate keep I hate to keep saying that, but in a, in a room of 1,700 players... Um, at the end of the day, you never know what you're going to hit and kind of just be prepared for anything. And um, re- damage reduction is always strong, honestly. It's always strong. And unless you're hitting Duraludons all day, I think Lasso and Gudra is, is going to do well. Yeah, I think that that's definitely something to take into consideration. Sorry, there was a lot of words there. Um, it, I just feel like Arceus Duraludon, as... You know, it, a lot of players have said that there's like a cult following for Arceus Duraludon. I'm definitely a part of that cult for sure. Um, but I just, I what I've noticed, even at any event that I've gone to, it just seems like there's one or two players in a group that are keen on it. There's rarely like a large player group that's going in, understanding that they are very solid, very well-rounded players and playing just that deck. And it's no disrespect to anyone who plays Arceus Duraludon. I think that it's a fantastic deck with mild limitations, but it definitely has its bad matchups. Uh, but I just don't think that Arceus Duraludon is going to be as heavily played. I don't think that there's anything in the meta right now that's pointing more towards playing more Duraludon. Um, I would say that it'd be a worse field for Arceus Duraludon because I think the numbers on Lugia Archeops are going to climb way down. I, so just from going to all the events I've gone to for the past month here in Florida with a lot of Florida players that um, are really good players but haven't necessarily been traveling, there's there's a lot of Arceus Duraludon that's going to show up. Um, I can tell you that much. Um, a lot of people, a lot of top players, though, are kind of turned off from it. Um, and this is just from hearing others. The reason why they're turned off from it is because it's kind of, they feel like it's too linear but I also feel like that's what's Arceus Duraludon's um, strengths as well, is the fact that it's it's so linear, you go in with this plan that you just get set up and you wall you wall from special energies and you knock out. You I mean, most, if not all, Arceus Duraludon decks are now back up to a four count of boss and a rope. Because they're just they're going after your setup, they're going after your your bench sitters, they're going after those crobats and luminions, they're not going after what's swinging in front of you. They wanna they just wanna have boss every single turn they can and take their prizes that way um and it's it's linear at the end of the day let's just put it uh, i'll just say it, it is 100 percent linear 
but that's the point of it. And I think that's where when people try to tech out Arceus Duraldon too much, that's where it starts flopping because that's not the point of that deck. Um, so, yeah, there's there's different things that people... Well, obviously, you know, there's very easy counters to Arceus Duraldon for that aspect. You know, Path, Evil Tall, things like that. But if people come in not respecting it, that's where Arceus Duraldon comes through and just stomps on people because... You know, they're not respecting Shred, they're not respecting Giant HP and things like that. Yeah, and that's definitely another note, too. I don't think that the deck has um, lost respect, I just think that it's lost its luster with things being able to handle Lugia a little bit better by just playing, like, Triple Sinnoh. Yeah, yep, Sinnoh's seen a lot of play. Um, I've seen locally as well, too, which is a great card, honestly. It's just just the fact that you can shut off things in Lugia Archeops, you can shut off double turbos in a lot of decks, um, wash energies, so uh, speed lightning energies, just all kinds of energies across the board. It's a um, really strong card. Yep, oh, I tend to agree. So just to dive into a topic related to Orlando, but not necessarily the decks being played, uh, Pokestats put out a tweet that said, Day 2 of next weekend's Orlando Regionals can reasonably hit 200 players per Limitless TCG uh, match point projections. Uh, this would be the largest Day 2 of any Regionals in history and would be larger than any Day 1 of any Australian Regionals ever. Uh, obviously, if the tournament didn't cap out, we would have had to hit about 1,800 Masters for this to be a result of that, but wouldn't that have been crazy? Yeah, that would have been honestly absolutely insane and like i knew i knew orlando was going to be big um because you have all the people who have been points chase and all the people that go to all the regionals regardless but um i and i mentioned this in one of our earlier like podcasts um and you know and from my own experience and things like that how i had mentioned like i'm not because for me i had a kid so i wasn't jumping back into the points chasing until orlando and until 2023 there was a lot. There's a lot of people in Florida, especially competitive players, that were not necessarily because they had a kid by any means, but um, on the same boat that they're like, "Yeah, just I'm trying to still figure out things in 2022, and 2023 is going to be my start with my local regional, and go from there." And like, I mean, I'm talking about from all over Florida, just talking with people I know that it's like this will be their first regional back, and so we're reaching these massive, massive numbers, and then. They're also going to Knoxville and Charlotte and things like that now because they started 2023 with their um, with their regionals, I guess, ex- experiences, I guess, for lack of better terms. Um, so I kind of knew going into this was going to be massive, but the fact that we're almost we almost hit 1,800 people would have been insane. Like it's it's actually kind of crazy. Um, and I, I, the other thing too, going with that, not to change the subject too much, but I saw so many people worrying about like how how is the Orlando Convention Center? Hopefully, it's big enough to fit all these people. And um, I can just I can assure everyone here, I've been to a few different trade shows there. The place is absolutely absolutely massive. Um, there's going to be more than enough room for everyone. Um, I've literally been to trade shows that were like that, like 500 different vendors plus people and there was still another show going on in the other showroom and all the rooms connect by like sliding things so there, there's going to be plenty of room for everyone so don't don't worry about that people yep that seems that seems legit um, but moving on with this many players um, it seems like Pokemon has to do something about prizing and Oscar from our discord brought up a pretty cool question 
I said, you guys want to talk about prizes for the top cuts as regionals keep getting bigger and bigger. And I know that so many players that are CP chasing, that are just, you know, spending $70 to go to these events and walking away with basically nothing but, you know, a pat on the back and a maybe 30 CP. If does something need to change, if this trend keeps growing, like... They really need to take a deep dive, at least after this season, and understand that if they're going to have this kind of showing at any event, you scale the prizing accordingly even. Like, that would make a huge difference. Yeah, I mean, we've harped on this. So many people have harped on this so many times. Um, Yeah, the prizing structure obviously needs to change. I mean, I I was having a conversation with my my local testing group, and um, a couple of the people in our group are judges and things like that. And I'm just going to literally read verbatim. So to get to even make top 64, you need roughly a 9-3-2 record. Like, that's a really, really, that's a pretty good record, and that's just to even make it into top 64. Then we go on to, so it's saying for top 8, you would literally have to have no worse than 11-1-2 record to make top 8. Like, that is absolutely insane just to even get to top 8. So... Taking that in consideration, obviously these people who have grinded really hard to make day two obviously still have to have a really good record. I mean, yeah, something's got to change. These people are going to be having these incredible records that at a normal, like a, a, at a smaller size regional would actually get them into top 64, get them into top 32, and now they're going to be pushed out because there's so many players that it's just, they're, they're just going to get bumped out because there's too many people. And so I definitely think, I mean, it, it kind of feels, for lack of a you know, it feels horrible to go, uh, what I say, 9-3-2, nine, nine, and two, and with so many people having 9-3-2 and two, potentially get bubbled out of top 64. Like, that's kind of crazy to me. Um, yeah, the, the bubble's going to be so real here. Like, it might be, it, it just might be asymmetrical cut time at this point. Like, this seems so crazy. I really do think that um, – because I actually love the idea of the asymmetrical cut that they did for Worlds. And I and I was under the impression that going into this season, the asymmetrical cut was sticking. And I think that's something that they should have done because we've seen so many regionals where someone has gotten ninth place with the same record as 7th and 8th. It's like they've won just as many games. Why do they not get to compete in you know the top 8 and stuff like that? I know it's all based on percentage and – yada 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 but it's like yeah i think asymmetrical cut would be uh honestly really nice at this point even if even if that didn't change the the other prizing structure if that was the minimum they did that's at least one step in the right direction but yeah i mean we can harp on it all the time i mean do just do the math on registrations and how much it costs per registration how much this place is making i know i know the convention center is not free it costs money i know staff costs money this and that but like We've said it before, even uh, cards don't cost Pokemon that much money. They literally bought their own printing company uh, like last year or something like that. So they can print cards and it costs them next to nothing. The CP is literally absolutely free for them because they make the CP structure. They just go, hey, instead we're going to extend points out this far. That's literally the least they can do. Um, Because, I mean... I, I joked about last week or on last week's pod that my goal was top 64 and I would be ec- ecstatic. And I'm looking at like, okay, I have to win win nine games and tie two. 
that's uh, as confident as I am in myself as a player. Like I also am not, I'm not like cocky and like full of myself knowing like that's probably not going to happen. Like I'm, I'm a great player, but there is a very good chance I hit just a lot of really bad matchups and I just don't do well. Um, or I misplay after that many rounds cause my brain's fried. So it's like, well, with this wide of a field, how are you supposed to metagame? Like, that's, yeah, yeah, exactly. It, like we just talked about, like so it could be super cushy and you're playing against, I don't know, 15 Mew Genesect in, in your, your span of games and then sprinkle in everything else into day two. But it's it's unlikely, but in this wide of a field, it could very well happen just depending on your matchup spread. And I did the math real quick, and I, I kind of lowballed it a little bit and said that 1,300 players, this isn't just Masters, this is 1,300 players, I understand the cap has exceeded that, but they would have made $91,000 off of entry alone. That's just entry. And then what I'm doing is I broke it down into booster box prices. And I and I ticked it up a little bit because I know that Pokemon prints their booster boxes. They get it at cost, obviously, because they are making it. But at $110 per booster box, you could effectively buy 827 booster boxes, right? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say maybe, just maybe, they give out 50 in prizing. And they pocket yeah, I, the rest. I'm not actually 100% sure on how much they do, but I know you and I had a conversation a few weeks back on cash prizing and things like that. Um, I'll have to scroll real well, fast. There's, but it, there's just no way they do cash. They It has to be in the form of something that's not going to absolutely flag them for tax purposes. So it had to be tra- yeah. it had to be travel rewards, stipends. You know, even if they went back to collegiate money and stuff like that, too. Then, yeah. I mean, it makes... Oh, sorry. My dogs are barking. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, I just... The the CP, the travel awards, things like that is the least they can do. And like I said, and boxes and stuff like that. It's just... And that's 91,000 at 1,300 players. Now, let's... Okay, let's add into that um, another 400 because we know we're a little over 1,700 players. So that's another 400 people. Then you add in your VGC into that. Then you add in your spectator badges, which cost money. You add mm-hmm. in your VIP upgrade packages. Um, just there, There's literally so much money being made. And um, monetary, val- or monetary uh, prizing is obviously what a lot of people prefer. But that can be on the, the low end of the spectrum. Like I said, booster boxes, CP... That is 100% something that they should increase. Yeah, like at, at this point, it, and it just depends on how many players actually show up and play and do the damn thing. But you could make day two and miss CP with this many players. Yeah, 100%. That is that is more than likely going to happen, or it will happen for a lot of people, unfortunately. Um, which is absolutely crazy to me because if I'm, you know... <laughs> I, I looked it up. You have to pay $20 to park at the Orlando Convention Center, right? So now I am went there one day, played out all day, got into day two, say I have, I have to go back the next day, pay for parking again, do absolutely horrible and scrub out, and I literally walk away with nothing. Literally nothing. Yep. Pat That's, on the back and, and a limitless page, kind of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, that's that's kind of sucks. It just kind of tries to make or makes me want to like just obviously try a lot harder on day two 
But I mean, at the same time, that is what blows my mind. And you know, and we're seeing these these numbers continue to trend even further upwards. I think it's time that we start the you know the Pokemon starts looking at bigger venues, honestly, too. I mean, we know that there are bigger venues. I mean, there's 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 these Magic tournaments that literally hold, hold like three thousand players, four thousand players sometimes. So why aren't we looking into those venues for bigger events? I mean, and they could even do something as simple as I know. I guess it's not simple, but um, having just a TCG only and VGC only regional events, because I mean, someone that plays VGC obviously at the same time isn't going to be playing TCG. So I mean, and you're going to need judges separately for both events anyway. So why not just split them into? separate weekends or separate areas and things like that so you can have a larger tcg side or a larger vgc side because i know something with orlando was vgc also sold out um for vgc side and they actually had to open more spots for vgc players and even with the openings there were still more people that wanted to get in so there's obviously the want for these events to be larger why not do something like that as well so we can make the events larger themselves um and kind of more streamlined, like this is a TCG only, this is a VGC only. So just a thought, but that's, that's you know, on a whole different topic. Right, and I don't know, I really don't think I like the idea of splitting up the communities. I do for the sake of just space conservation and being able to pour more attention into one specific brand of the game, but I like socializing them too because I've met so many cool VGC players. Obviously, I haven't been to an event that has housed vgc at the same time as tcg just because that's the way the pandemic worked and sword and shield kind of fizzling out and so on and so forth but just in playing in general i've met a lot of cool vgc players and i'd hate to like not have those same you know person player interactions with them as well um and then one thing i wanted to throw out this is a little bit offbeat of the previous topic we talked about but there's going to be no lunch break at orlando uh they actually they um it was confirmed that there is that that was an old um report so yeah i was really stressed i was really stressed out about about that at first but there there will be uh, a lunch break yeah i i did see the updated um listing for that there there is a lunch break yeah i was i I was about to say that is so bad that is so stall players (laughs) yeah i mean i guess i I, if you're a good stall player you could use all 50 minutes and just you know eat on your way to the next table um but (laughs) I've also found that after my 50 minutes is over and time is called, there's a huge break in between that and then pairing to the next round. So I'm not stressing too hard for a lunch. I found myself more anxious to play my next game during my lunch. And I feel like after three rounds, like that's really close to my first and third game. So I don't know. I've maybe personally pushed the lunch break back further, but that's just me. Yeah, I always thought that right after third round was kind of weird because you still have six more rounds after that too. So yeah. why not meet in the middle? Right, kind of crazy. All right, so I think we've talked shit enough about uh, <laughs> Pokemon and Orlando and everything that flavored for long enough. But, you know, I I am excited. I love going to regionals. I love meeting new players, and I love the experiences. I like going to new places too. Uh, it just experiencing all of this uh this competitive pokemon tcg culture that we're a part of uh by no means do i think that anyone's doing anything wrong we just we're just humble players that have suggestions and uh we just want to make it better and you know kind of ease into a more 
I, I don't know what it, I, I don't want to call it relaxed, but I want to say it like a less rushed and panicked type of event. And I just feel like they're pumping these events out and things just happen as they happen. And then we see all the tweets of all the things that went wrong, of all the things that were uncomfortable. And then we all from afar get to make speculations on how they could do it better. We don't work there. We don't do, we don't make those kind of calls, but I hope that they listen and take things into considerations from, you know, me, Justin and everybody else in the Pokemon community that just wants to see this stuff flourish. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, I, I'm more than excited for this event, even if I don't make day two or if I don't do well. I just uh, regionals are so much fun. There, if you haven't been, I highly suggest you know taking taking a trip to one because um, they're just they're they're a lot of fun, cool vendors, cool people, and like you said, just seeing the new cities. Like that's why I'm so excited for Knoxville just to go walk around and do things whenever I'm not playing. So uh, yeah, it, definitely excited for these things even if we complain about them too much and at orlando you're gonna have some some pcs podcast stuff with you yeah 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 i was gonna kind of mention that at the uh the end of the pod but i'll go ahead and mention it now um if you guys do happen to see me day one i'll be wearing my pcs podcast t-shirt so feel free to come say hey to me um if it's cold in there for some reason i'll be wearing my brewery's hoodie swan brewing um, so you can find me that way as well, but I will have some PCS podcast stickers, um, that we have. I'll be handing those out to people. I'm not just going to hand them out to random people. You do have to come say hey to me and ask me for them. Um, cause I don't want to be that awkward person shoving stickers in everyone's faces that doesn't, that don't want them. But yeah, um, for this event, I will have stickers and hopefully we'll have some other cool stuff by the time Knoxville gets here too. So yeah, come say hey to me. I'm a Super friendly, talkable person. Obviously, you hear me on the podcast talking way too much sometimes. Um, that'll probably happen if you talk to me at a regional. Just want to meet you guys. Um, and, you know, I'll throw out another cool little thing towards the end so we can keep talking about Pokemon right here. No, for sure. And with that being said, we're going to transition into the card spotlight. The card spotlight is sponsored by Dark Gloom Productions. DG Productions is a West Coast-based tournament tournament organizing group that can run and officiate your tabletop events, including Pokemon TCG. So be sure to check out Darth Gloom on Instagram and Twitter. Alright, the card that we are going to be talking about this week is none other than Double Turbo Energy. To get yourself one of these, you'll have to spend a whopping 18 sense what kind of merit does a card like this have in the standard format justin uh this kind of card has a lot of merit in our current format um just the fact that it counts as two colorless energies uh granted does have a caveat of um the damage you do takes uh does 20 less damage when it attacks but to be able to have two energies um attached at one time is absolutely massive um we see it played in a lot of things like um, anything Arceus, um, obviously because it's got a two colorless attack for Trinity Charge that literally charges up your bench Pokemon Vs or any Pokemon V. Um, that doesn't do any damage anyways unless you're in the Arceus V-Star, so it's great for that. Um, but also, just comboing it with other cards such as uh, Hyper Potions, where you need two energies. Why not attach one of these, Hyper Potion it away so you're effectively healing damage without getting rid of your energies you just accelerated last turn it's uh it's a really powerful card um and we had similar cards to this in the past in the form of double colorless energy um that card didn't have any caveats like uh 20 damage reduction 
which I think that's actually a good thing that this one does because I think DCE in our current meta be, would be absolutely too strong. This gives it just enough of a buff to where um, it's good and powerful, but not crazy powerful. There is a drawback to it. Right. Um, like, like you had mentioned before, fulfilling two energy with a single hand attachment is just cracked. Absolutely. In a deck like Arceus Duraludon, because of double turbo energy, you realistically only need to attach two energy from hand the whole game, and then Arceus will do the rest of the work. Uh, with that being said, you know, there are decks like, um, Reggie's that could potentially benefit from this when in terms of trying to stay relevant after rotation obviously Zorobox and Durant all of their attack attacks needing um, two colorless energy to fulfill most of their attacks got a huge buff when we had both twin energy and double colorless energy or yeah double turbo energy in the same format it's a really powerful card using it in things like Lugia to fulfill two of its colorless um, attack fulfillments using it in things like Blissey to increase um, 40 damage per energy, not energy cards on it. So this basically adds 80 damage, minus 20, which is huge. And again, swinging it back in with Hyper Potion just to discard one of them. And heal 120 is pretty sick. Another you know line of play that I've been using it with was when I was playing Arctina a whole lot. Being able to just discard one double turbo energy as opposed to two separate energy cards to use lost impact was huge um so definitely make sure you're holding on to your double turbo energies going forward especially into the next format where we don't know how many attackers are realistically going to need two colorless energy but it's nice to have and i'd rather be looking at it than looking for it yeah i agree luckily this card was printed um pretty heavily and uh there's a lot of them out there so obviously with 18 cent price tag they're they're cheap enough where go ahead and pick yourself up a couple play sets. But yeah, it's 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 a great card. Anytime there's gonna be more than one energy on a card, it's it's gonna be pretty good. Um I, I really do like this card. I I played a lot of Arceus decks because of this card, just the the easy acceleration and things like that. So um yeah, I I would pick up a playset if you don't have some already. Yep. Double turbo energy, A plus card. Make sure you get some. And then we're gonna dive into the news. Um some more recent news the japan's uh, J- uh champions league will get char cadet and the new basic energies as promos in their champions league uh they'll have the cool little champions league stamp at the bottom right of them and i don't really like the design of the new energy but it doesn't matter to me because i don't play in japan's champions league but i still think that that's really cool i'm hoping that we get something like that stateside but the play energy is also very cool to look at as well and i guess I could just kind of take that as a uh, placeholder. But when you look at the new basic energy, there was one thing that I noticed. And at the bottom, like the way bottom right corner, you have the energy symbol. And I wonder if that means that there's just a new way for us to stack the energies on Pokemon versus them all being at the top. They can be just as identifiable from the bottom when you stack your energies. That's interesting. Uh, you know, I didn't, I haven't really taken a super deep look into these energies, but that could be something that they're looking into. That, and I know maybe it's just a way to save uh, opponents, like when played, to, if a, say the energy stack is a weird way or something like that. I mean, we've seen on stream energy stack sideways, energy stack straight up, energy stacked off to the side. Um, all kinds of different ways so maybe that's just their way of 
you can see it easier uh, if the energies are stacked kind of strange. Um, but maybe there is some kind of new... I mean, I they always try to introduce all these new and interesting mechanics every, you know, couple years, and maybe that is something I, I don't know. Or maybe it's just alluding to, you know, a better visual aspect. Obviously, TCG Live is just kind of TCG Live as is, but maybe that's something that they're planning on in the future is for it to stack visually that way and it'll be easier to identify if you're coming from tcg live to you know tabletop if the energy's also on the bottom i i don't know i can't predict the future but that was just something peculiar that i noticed uh the next topic we're going to talk about is the second unnamed scarlet violet set will release later than usual on friday june 30th we normally get a May set, so this means the set schedule is shifting again. This is probably because our first Scarlet Violet set shifted from February to March. Um, and then shifting SV2, which is Scarlet Violet, the second set, uh, from May to June allows there to be three months in between sets. So if you thought the meta was kind of stagnant now, just wait for that break in between March and June, because that's going to be rough <laughs> yeah rotation and delayed set it'll be uh and a lot smaller carpool because of the rotation it'll be it'll be yeah interesting i i never feel like stuff gets stale because if i start getting bored i just play a different deck or retro <laughs> but um yeah that'll be that'll be a little tough um i don't understand why we're getting delayed um i don't know if in this release there was a reason why but it just seems like for a company that's got, you know, the mo- one of the most successful franchises in the entire world, um, it just seems like kind of dropping the ball yet again. It's like you could hire more. If it, it's a printing issue, you can hire more people. You can, you know, buy another printer. You can do these things. But instead it's just, oh, we'll push it back. We'll push it back. And what does that mean for... You know, next year's rotation is are all the sets going to get pushed back, or are we going to have another issue where a set gets released and then two weeks later another set's getting released, and so there wasn't a time for this set to shine and things like that. So, I think it had a lot to do with the Crown Zenith printing order because all of that product comes in waves, right? So I I don't even think we get all of the Crown Zenith products and promos until like the third week in February because of the release schedule. So I think that they kind of had to line it up with that because you don't necessarily want that to be a product pushed off to the side. Like you said, multi-million dollar company, they want to be able to rack in as much money as possible. This Crown Zenith set is like crack to collectors, dude. Yeah. It is super, super fun to open for you know players and collectors alike. So they got to make sure that they're intermittently getting those sales. And I, and I understand it from a marketing standpoint, but from a player standpoint... I feel like you're setting up some really stale formats and we were about to get really, really excited about being on a similar pace as Japan. And I think we're stepping further away from that because, what, they're going to be almost three sets ahead of us if our next set doesn't release until June? Yeah, exactly. And what doesn't make sense with this, too, is, you know, Pokemon is notorious for having an uh, initial first print run when a set comes out. And then doing follow-up print runs, um, one to keep just supply going, um, 
and just to have thing product on shelves, but they've kind of already, I, I, I actually don't know if it was officially announced or if it's just been leaked, but all these uh, last Sword and Shield sets, they're, no, they're not reprinting any of them. That's why we're seeing sets like Lost Origins, uh, Brilliant Stars, things like that, starting to jump up in price. Even stuff like, I've heard Battle Styles booster boxes are starting to go up in price because they're not printing anymore. So you've got collectors that are trying to buy them up and sit on the shelves, which is whatever, fine. Most of us players already have our cards or we're just going to buy the singles anyways. But um, with them not making second, third print runs or whatever it is, you would think the printers that they would be using for that would be ramping up production on all this other stuff. So it kind of just doesn't make sense when you start adding that factor in too because normally you'd have all this extra time dedicated to that, but now that time's not being dedicated to that. It's it's available. So either someone really got behind the ball and dropped or they had some kind of major malfunction issue or there something, maybe, maybe there is something we don't know uh, that's going on. Maybe a, one of their massive printers broke down and is under repair. Who knows? It happens. I'm in a production facility and things break all the time in production. So it's a possibility, but they're not transparent with it. So it just leads us to wonder what the heck is going on. Um, and yeah, being this far behind Japan is sucks. Like we, we keep talking about and everyone keeps talking about getting closer and closer. Like we just talked about it last week and now we're further behind even more now. <laughs> Or going right. to be. Yeah. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a little bit of a different tone to this whole discussion. Um, what I've heard a lot, and this has been since Lost Origin, is just the qual- the print quality of cards has seemed to be declining. Whether it be the edges, the condition of the cards, um, their immediate bend that they get if you don't sleeve them right away. Um, and that was something that a lot of people complained about. Um, and what I have is a, it's the new Sprigatito. Um, the, it's, it's, it is technically a new Scarlet Valley card. It is a promo, so it definitely was pressed in the box funny. But just from seeing this card and the production quality of like this specific one, which I have to assume is going to be an equivalent to what our new set is going to contain, this thing is minty, man. This thing is absolutely prima deutsch. The edges are fantastic because they're hollow and stuff like that. The centering seems pretty good. Um, I'm impressed and I'm hoping that that is the same time and quality and effort that's being put into this next set, which directly translates to our sets being pushed back. Um, and I also understand that like, you need to also allow more time, more time for Japan to develop cards, develop a set and put them into production because they basically have two and a half sets two and a quarter sets, whatever you want to call it, for every single one of our sets. And you're putting the gas pedal on them to produ- to produce faster if we want to keep up with them. The only way to remedy this whole situation is if we get sets the same exact time as Japan. We get the same products that Japan does over here, English printed. So it's that's what it would take for them to make that fair trade, but... I have to assume that it's for good things and not for bad things. But for those who are looking forward to new Scarlet Violet cards on May 5th, we will see the release of the new EX box, which should be Mimikyu, a new League Battle Deck, which we can speculate on that, an EX Battle Deck, and then new Mini Tins, which everybody enjoys keeping their dice in. What do you think the new League Battle Deck is? 
Uh, I don't know, honestly. Do they normally print like a like a past card or something like that? Um, um, so after basically after Lugia took over the format, they gave us the Mew League battle deck. Hmm. Um, before that, um, it was. I don't want to call it. Yeah, so we got that. But I'm trying to think of like the scale. So I think it was like after Lost Origin, we got, or it was like alongside Lost Origin, we got Shadow Rider and Ice Rider. And then after um, Silver Tempest, we got Mew Genesect. Yeah, let's see. So we already got a promo. um, The, oh my god, uh, Palkia and Dialga in boxes did we get a promo giratina nope i mean we have a promo giratina but we but don't not have star we don't we don't have a deck and we don't have a promotion box for it no so that's maybe maybe like a giratina deck like a loose lost box giratina deck that or i mean the obvious answer is is lugia because i mean there is in japan alternate art lugias and what kind of better opportunity to hey here's this really good deck um that has like its own engine and everything built in with the different arts and things like that so i could totally see something like that i think just based on the printing schedule you know because we had promo boxes for urshifu and then we got like the um the big box market boxes that had the urshifu v max both single strike and rapid strike I think these League Battle decks will come as a pair. I think one of them's going to be something-something Dialga, and the other one's going to be something-something Palkia, which would be good. That's a really good card to put in players' hands. They're not going to rotate for a while, but I think just in the chain of things, like we got Shadow Rider and Ice Rider way after they were viable in the standard format for the most part. So I think that that's probably the pace... It, that it will stay on pace for what we have. That makes sense, especially the fact that they they do pairs and stuff like that. Yeah, I, that 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 sounds like a good one to me. That or they they throw Lugia and Ho Ho together, and you know Ho Ho hasn't <laughs> seen play, but it's it is a legendary that's out there in a V form. Yeah, though you're not wrong for sure. Um, and I also just think because there's their promotional Pokemon from Legends Arceus, which is the game, so it just makes it would sense. be a cool collector's item for someone who doesn't play. But I want people to play those cards because the League battle decks are super fun. Um, and then we're getting an EX battle deck. This one isn't necessarily a League battle deck. This will probably be the equivalent of like the Lycanroc Corviknight battle deck where you get one EX card and a bunch of bulk items to support <laughs> that card. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> let's, 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 uh, I'll probably say that it's going to be Arcanine and Gyarados. I mean that's right that was gonna be my guess because they're the the poster terrestrial Pokemon that we've gotten. So I yeah, and they're water and fire and yeah, I would one hundred percent see that as our EX battle decks. For sure. Yeah, with that, we're gonna transition into our listener questions. We turned to our Discord this week because there were no events. We just wanted to talk about things that people are interested in and the first question RC asks, what are the best ways to buy singles of competitive cards? And should a player be willing to pay full market price or only look for deals? Yeah, so first off, I'll start by saying if you have a local shop, you should always support them. Um, They're obviously the ones that run our local leagues. 
uh, do things for people. So always, if they've got the cards, and of course, if the cards are at reasonable market price, support your local shop. If not, um, I would turn to something like a TCG player and go to that. Um, obviously, we're big fans of buying singles. Finding deals is always a great option, but I would not rely on it, um, especially depending on how competitive of, competitive of a player you are. Because obviously, if you need those cards right away, sitting around and waiting for those cards to show up means that's uh, show up in a uh, at, for a deal. That's that much longer that you're um, waiting to play that deck. You know, if you've got a tournament coming up and you need those cards, go and purchase them. If you are just, you know, uh, theor- theory crafting a deck and you're testing it, and the set is just got released and Radiant Eternatus is like a fifteen twenty dollar card, yeah, maybe print a proxy while you're testing and wait because right after the set dropped, that card became a two dollar card. You know, so. It's one of those things where, yeah, definitely try to find deals if you can, but kind of weigh your options. Um, If you need the card right away, try to pick it up. Try to trade for it. Buy it from your local shop. But if you can wait, if it's just for local tournament play, you know, maybe maybe hold off. It's it's really out there. For someone like me, if I know I have a big event coming up, I will 100% buy the card or trade for the card if I need it for that event. But if not, I'm not going to stress about it and I'll try to find the best deal possible with giving me enough time to have that card in my hands. Yep, I think that's well said. Um, another thing that I definitely want to direct your attention to when it comes to buying singles is you got to find trustworthy sources. Um, obviously, the internet has the, the most amount of communication. It's going to give you access to you know, hundreds of thousands of resources. But the best thing you could do is look at people who are opening packs and stuff around the time of a set release. And if you're looking for a bulk card, they may very well have it. So it just kind of depends on the connections that you know. Um, there was someone on Twitter who was opening a bunch of Crown Zenith. They posted all of their pulls. They had duplicates of everything they had. I sent them a DM. I said, hey, man, I'm looking for Zoshans. I understand the price is this right now, but would you take this? super reliable source and now i have those currently waiting in my mailbox right now it was really cool interaction the pokemon community is full of these types of people but don't always rely on somebody to help you out with that tcg player has a fantastic reputation for promote for promoting really good sellers as well as good buyers and stuff like that too so make sure you're using um, justin's affiliate link when you're (laughs) going to check out at tcg player helps him and you get to go buy from reliable people who, in most instances, will provide tracking if paid for. And if you're a part of our Discord, you get access to Brew's Poke- like Pokemon card shop. And you get discounts for being a Patreon member as well. So plenty of resources available to you. But when it comes to chasing down competitive cards, if you are playing a tournament that is worth its weight in what you're going to spend on singles... Absolutely, buy them somewhere, expedite them to you. And then you also have to look at on- online card shops with uh, like a reputable, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Reputable, rep- a reputation. I mean, that's the one great thing about TCG yeah, Player, that. though, <laughs> is, it, well, it's the one good thing about them is it's, they've got a good rating, so they have a rating factor. So if obviously if someone's not shipping cards, deliveries keep getting lost, they're going to have a, a poor rating, but if someone's like, and it tells you how many ratings they have too, so 
you know, if someone's got 50,000 sales and they have a 99.99% rating, probably a trustworthy source to buy your cards from. If, uh, you know, if they've got a 90% rating and they have 10 transactions, well, it's probably not pretty good. They probably lost a few cards and people are not weary of checking them. So that's what I like about those as well. And they do have like purchase protection if you never get your cards for some reason. TCG player is always there for the buyers. So they, you know, I've I've had stuff get lost in the mail, unfortunately, and I've got my money back and had to go rebuy them. So the, that's one good thing about TCG player for sure. And then of course, of course, other sites will have that too. But I like to use TCG player as a competitive player. They're they're pretty much the source to go get any card you need. Yeah, for sure. And sometimes you can snipe some things on uh, on Mercari and eBay and stuff like that. But you are also risking your money getting lost because the buyer protection and the seller protection typically butt heads pretty well and favors the seller in most instances. So just be careful of that. So we'll move on to our second question. Aaron asks, what do you do with former V's, V stars and V maxes that might not have a place, but are still in regulation after rotation? I'm, (laughs) I'm pretty bad at this just because I'm always constantly buying and selling cards. If I'm not really using it or have an idea for it, I kind of just put it out for sale or trade. Um, but it's because I know I have kind of a constant source to cards, but for someone maybe not in my situation, I know a lot of players, um, a lot of people on my local testing group and team, um, they hold on to multiple copies of cards. Granted, it'll probably be the, like the lowest rarity and thing like that, so, things like that. So they'll have like a whole playable binder and kind of keep them in there. So if they ever need them, they have them instead of having to wait and buy them. Like we talked about earlier with DTE, we'd rather have them now and have them when we need them versus try to find them later on when the card gets popular but i'm in a situation where to me i kind of just get rid of my extras um and that's just because of buying and selling constantly and also financially just being able to pick them up even if they do go up a couple dollars a piece um but yeah a good practice is to hold on to them we kind of talked about this last week with our our bulk cards there last week or the week before with our uh, bulk cards. If you got a couple cheap playables, throw them in a bulk box and hold on to them. Um, but yeah, I mean, what do you do with yours, Drew? Oh, I'm. Uh, you said you were bad. I'm really bad at this. Um, so I often hunt down the full arts if they're available of everything, just because I like the way that they look. I see competitive merit in too many cards. I cannot look at a new set and say this card is bad i can never point at the card that is bad unless it's a supporter that literally just says draw three um but (laughs) i'm so bad at it i'll look at a card be like hey lilligant looks really really good why would i ever not benefit from being able to pull out a combination of five cards in the form of pokemon or grass energy like that just seems good in any format obviously hasn't been good now but then again, you also have to look at the fact that Vulpix V-Star has won a regional event and Giratina has not when Giratina is <laughs> clearly the more competitive card. So I am the worst person when it comes to giving anyone advice on what to do with their bulk V-Stars, V-Maxes, and so on and so forth. Because they could always come back and be playable at one point. And yes, I am promoting a terrible habit of people collecting cards that may not ever be playable again. But just the other day, I sleeved up Whimsicott, and I had a great time playing it. Like, it was 
super good. Like with the new Luxray from Crown Zenith, a lot of people thought that was a bad card too, but I'm playing both of those in the same deck and it's, it's huge. Like it's such a great combination. So I, I'm the worst person. I think it'd be beneficial to hold on to them, especially if they're still in regulation because you could still use them. You might as well play them and see the kind of merit that they bring to your playstyle and your deck building. Well, and I'll add to that too is we're we're very lucky in in this day and age with Pokemon with there being such an abundance of cards out there as well too. That I mean, I've heard of stories of people just going to their local store and picking up bulk V like just bulk V's and V stars and V maxes that at the time aren't playable, but for like a quarter a piece. Um, so, I mean, if you can go out and spend $10 and have four play sets of cards, um, you know, four play sets of V's, V stars, V maxes, whatever, and just hold them into a binder, that's not horrible because at the end of the day, if they're still not playable, what do you turn around and do with them? You sell them for a quarter a piece. So, I mean, that's pretty much what bulk's at these days. If, you know, I, so it, it's not going to hurt if you if you're really needing the money. Then yeah, sell them. Um, but if you don't mind sitting on a couple to potentially save a few bucks down the road, yeah, why not do that? Why not throw them in a binder or a box and hope that that deck becomes playable? And now you're sitting on ten dollar V's. Yeah, because I I can honestly say once this format's done and like thing things like Urshifu and all the V stars rotate out, I will never be playing this format again. Not that I hate it. I love the de- deck creativity. I'm just always focused on the next thing. I will proxy two sets forward before I build a deck one set back. With that being said, though, like what we talked about last week, I have um, the Urshifu, not Urshifu, the uh, the Mew 3 Rillaboom deck sleeved on my wall. And it's a great display. I definitely have some fond memories of you know times played there. That's a great thing to do with decks that may not have a place in this format. They could become wonderful wall decorations too. So maybe that's something productive to do with your cards that can't be played right now. Yeah, I always said if I ever won a regional, that that exact sixty in those sleeves is going in a picture frame, going to go up on the wall. Yeah, that would be sick for sure. So I hope this answered your questions. I know my first answer was very inconclusive, and that's on me. But if you guys have any questions that you'd like to hear answered on the pod, make sure you hit up our Twitter at PCS underscore Pod. We have a brief Patreon Discord update, if you will. Uh, Oscar won the Standard Locals back-to-back. He won GLC. He's won Standard. And this is technically his Triple Crown because he also won an Expanded event a couple months ago, which is super cool. So congrats again to Oscar. This is getting repetitive. I'm coming for your throat next. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you want to revise your prediction for Orlando before we go? Uh, I don't think so. I think I'm good. I, I still am in that camp of that doing well. I think I said Lost Box with uh, Baby Zam, right? Yeah, I, I still I still think that. Right on. And Lost Box Gudra for me, still. Yeah, All right, Justin, go still ahead. a good pick. <laughs> yeah, Justin, go ahead and plug the show, buddy. Yeah, so um, if you guys want to find me on Twitter, I am PokeBrewsTCG. Uh, if you want to find me on Instagram, I'm just PokeBrews. Um, but on both places, you can find my link tree to my uh, different links, like my TCG Player affiliate link. Any shopping you do through that link directly supports regional trips for myself. Um, and you can also find all kinds of other stuff on there. If you guys want to get some official PCS Podcast merch, go to bonfire.com slash store slash PCS pod. 
Um, and then we're still working on our Twitch. We actually talked about doing a tabletop stream today, but we decided to record instead. Um, if you guys want to go give us a follow there, though, it's twitch.tv slash podcast. On to you, Drew. Yeah, and- and for me, uh, you can check me out on YouTube at Katana TCG. I post a new video on Miradon EX. It seems like a very powerful card. You can also socialize with me on Twitter, also at Katana TCG. And then make sure you're checking out Ink Gaming. If you use the code PCSPOD10, you get 10% off your entire order, especially when you're looking at their fantastic selection of Ultimate Guard accessories and products. And if you'd love to become a part of our Patreon and support the podcast, sure to check out patreon.com slash PCS podcast. Being a part of the Patreon gets you multiple perks, but most importantly, you get entries to the monthly giveaway and you get entrance to the PCS locals. And then after Orlando, we'll announce the goodies that we're giving away in February. But that about does it for the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. See you guys next time. See you guys after Orlando. Yeah, go get them, Justin. 